Good morning. Now it's on. Good morning. Can you, I was trying to turn that. Uh, I was hearing a feedback earlier, but I think it's good now. Um, good morning, my name is Sergey. I'm the pastor here, and we're going to jump on uh, to Psalm 3. So turn your Bibles. There should be a black one in front of you. Psalm 3. Turn the Bible in half, and you'll be there. So as we start today, can we talk about the good things in life? Can we talk about good things in life? Like this past week was uh, the first day of spring. Like first day of spring. That's a good thing, uh, right? Like who loves spring, right? Like at least, at least Jenny. Jenny loves spring. Uh, and so uh, our family went for a walk this past week. As we were walking, there were flowers like real flowers already coming off the ground. Like, that's a good thing. You can open the windows in your house and that like fresh air coming through makes you feel better about yourself somehow. You're like, ah, fresh air. Like, that's a good thing. How about long, deep nap? Like, not like the 20 minute snooze that I'm talking about. Like, no, I'm talking about like you fall asleep, you're sleeping so deeply, you wake up like so much drool, like you're in a puddle of drool, and then like it kind of got darker outside. So you're like, is it morning? Is it night? Um, like, you just don't know. Like, that's a good thing. <laughs> what about a good cup of coffee? Like, a early in the morning, five, six o'clock in the morning, and just a smooth, dark, Maybe a pour over, like a good cup of coffee, right? Like, that's a good thing. What about the smell of new? Smell of new. Like, who loves the smell of new? I love the smell of new. Am I the only one? I love the smell of new. Like, anything. Like, you get a new car, you're like, oh, this is awesome. What about the smell of banana bread? Yes, like such a good, like smell of banana bread. I, I'm convinced no matter if you're on a diet or not, if you walked in and there was a smell of banana bread, you're like, I'm eating this. Like, like, who cares? Like, I, you know, everything just gets off the table. I'll eat it. And speaking of eating, like taste buds, that's a gift from God. Taste buds. He didn't have to give us taste buds, but we can taste foods and steaks and banana bread. Like, that is a gift from God. It's, it's things that we can do, enjoy. That's a good thing. What about laughter? And I'm not talking about like the ha-ha, you know, kind of laugh. No, I'm talking about like belly laughing so hard that your belly, like your stomach kind of hurts kind of laughter. Like, that's a good thing. And this list, this list of good things can go on and on and on. Like, as, as I say good things, you can be like, oh, yeah, this good thing or this good thing. God given, has given us so many good things, and we get to enjoy them. But maybe, maybe you're not in a season where you notice good things. Maybe you're not in that season. And there are times in life that are just hard, and everything just looks horrible, and good things in life seem far away. Like a good cup of coffee just seems just a dark, bitter cup of coffee. Or the open windows just seems like cold, annoying air coming in. You're like, why is the window open? You turn the TV on or get on the social media and the world around you is evil, wicked, and broken. And, and I say this often I, as I talk through this kind of thing. I say you don't even have to go and watch TV or get on social media. You can just look within and see the brokenness, the selfishness, 
And all of us have had times when everything seemed bleak, dark, and meaningless. And during this time, during this kind of time, not the good time, but the time where it seems bleak and broken and dark and meaningless, during this time, here's the question that I want us to ponder today. What do we do during, this time, during times like this? What do we do in the times when everything around us seems evil, dark, broken, meaningless? What do we do? Maybe you're there today. Maybe you were, you were there yesterday. Maybe you will be there tomorrow. For this type of season, God left us a psalm. A psalm to study. Psalm 3. It's a psalm that relates to the darkness and evil that's around us. It gives us an example of what to do when we are in this dark, meaningless stage. And so, uh, if you're able, let's stand and read this psalm together, and then we'll study it. Let's start from the top. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried out loud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke up in the Lord's sustained me. I'll not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on my people. This is the word of God. You can have a seat. So, before we jump into this passage, there are two things that I want to point out about this text. If you look at, in your Bible, so I didn't have it on there, but if you look in, in your Bibles, you will see uh, the word uh, Selah, or Salah, wow, I can't, Selah, sorry. The word <laughs> Selah, uh, written three times on the right side, right? So if you look at it, uh, I don't know if online Bibles have it, but, but it, maybe they do. Um, and so... The word Selah is there, and uh, it appears three times. It's a musical notation that designed for us to take a pause. It's a, it's a musical notation that just kind of says, slow down, stop, now ponder about what you just read. Don't just keep going, but just kind of meditate on these words, reflect what was just written, and, 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 and meditate, wrestle with them. Right? So anytime you read a psalm later on and you see that word, uh, don't just be like, oh yeah, I need to pause. I'm not going to pause. No, pause. Reflect. Think about it. Uh, that, that is there for a reason. And um, so we'll do that today. Uh, anytime you see a psalm that it has those three, that just it's a neat way to point three-point sermon for us. Like just, you know, if there's ten, it'll be ten-point sermon, right? Um, so that's, that's what we'll do. And there's one more thing to notice. Look back to the top of the text, right? Right on top, right before the psalm, there's a description of the psalm. It says, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Right? Did you notice that? We didn't read that, but did you notice that it's there? So that's context. That's context for our passage. Everything that we'll be reading, studying, is connected to the story when David fled from Absalom. So anything that we'll study in this this text will be related to that story. 
So another thing that uh, right away should stand out to us, that it's David is the author of this psalm, right? And it gives us context, what's, gonna, what's going on in David's life when he wrote this, this song, this poem. But before we can talk about David and Absalom and what happened there, we need to set up the story a little bit. We need to dive in and, and address David's life. And maybe you heard of Absalom, maybe you heard of David, but, but I'm just going to assume you don't. So let me go all the way back. David was anointed by God through the prophet Nathan to be the next king. We talked about it three week, two weeks ago, a little bit about that. Often when we think of a king, though, we think of a guy sitting on a throne eating grapes or something, right? Like, I think of a king that way. No? You guys don't think that? I think that. So, so often we think of something of an easy life, though, right? Like, we think of somehow it's, it's a good life. It's an easy life. He's just sitting on the throne. Um, but that was not the case of David's life. That was not the case of David's life. If you ever study David's life, um, he has a lot of twists and turns. There's just some dark moments. There are some great moments, mostly dark moments. So it's just kind of crazy. His life is very much of a roller coaster. Uh, David was a passionate man. He was a passionate man. He was a fierce warrior. Like often we talk about David, we, we talked about David and Goliath. If you heard of that story, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably heard of David and Goliath, how David defeats the Goliath, right? Like, or if you're watching March Madness right now, the 11th seed is in the final four. You're like, David and Goliath kind of story, right? Like we say that, but like, do we know that the, how the story ends there? Like he chops his head off. Like that, that's part of the story. So he was a fierce warrior, and that was just the beginning of his story. That was the beginning days of his story. He was also a lustful man. Uh, most people know the story of David and Bathsheba. David did, David did some shady stuff, uh, like sleep with someone else's wife. Then he gets her pregnant, and then David kills the husband to cover up his track, right? Like, that's part of David's story. Like I said, it's, it's, he has so many twists and turns, and, and it's just darkness. There's a lot of dark, dark stuff here. So... That happens, and then Nathan, the same guy who anointed David the king, comes and uh, and he confronts David after he has committed adultery and murder. He like, dude, did you notice what happened here? David realizes what happened, so he confesses and um, he confesses that he has sinned against God. and And there's he wrote another psalm. We'll study it one another time about that prayer of confession. Um, and God spells out consequence for that he has what what happened uh, so God spells out consequence for David's sin and uh, sin sin always has consequences I, I don't know if you knew that or not but sin always has consequences and so it might, might they're different and, and it's in various ways but for David the consequences are twofold. So it says in the passage, talks about that this child of David and Bathsheba will die. So that was one of the consequences. And the second one was the bloodshed will never depart from the David's household. So if you go to 2 Samuel chapter like 14, 15, around that uh, 13, 14, 15, you will, you will read about all these, this stuff. And so maybe you're thinking, why are you bringing all of this up? Why are you talking about David's life? Why are you addressing his darkness and all this ins and outs? Well, because the story of Absalom is the story that follows all of this. It's David's experience of the second consequence. The bloodshed will never depart from his household. So that's why we're talking about this. It's because it was a consequence of his earlier sin. And now we talk about that, that consequence. 
Just to keep the story straight, just in case you didn't grow up in the church, Absalom is not the child between Bathsheba and David. Just, just in case if you were wondering, but Absalom is David's son. Okay? So, again, the story is dark. And, that, and so as we continue, and then we, get, we move up to Absalom. Absalom had this beautiful sister, Tamar, who is cruelly violated by their half-brother. Absalom is enraged about this he, he, he's enraged with hatred, and after two years of this, he plots a way to kill that dude, right? So he kills him, he kills his half-brother, and then he runs. He runs away. David then pleads for him to come back. He pleads for Absalom to come back, and after Absalom returned, David um, absolves him of, of guilt. He absolves him of guilt. He says, hey, come, come live, be, live in peace under my rule. And, um, and so that places us right about to, to where, where our passage is about to, to begin. It places us where Absalom now sits. Uh, he's back, back with David. He's sitting there. And every morning as he wakes up, you know, like you all have a routine in the morning. Well, Absalom's routine was to go to the front of the city, to stand in front of the city. As people will come in, he will get up early and he will stand at the gate of the city. And people would come into the city with disputes they wanted to have they wanted to have judged in front of King David, right? So like they wanted to bring things up to King David and, um, and Absalom would intervene. He would be like, hey, hey man, where, where are you coming from? What city are you coming from? And they'll be like, oh, I'm coming from this, this, and this city. And he would just engage in conversation and, and he would then say, um, ah, see, your claims are good and right. Like, you know, so they would talk, why'd you come? And he would describe why they came. They'd be like, oh yeah, those, those things that you bring up, they're good things. And, and they're, 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 your claims are good and right, but the king has not designated anyone to hear your case. If I was a king, it would be different. If I was a king, it would be different. I would bring justice to your case. I see where you're coming from. If I was a king, I would hear you well. So he was doing this. He was doing this every day. You know, as you drink coffee, he was at the gate doing this. Like that was his routine. And uh, he did this every, every single person who walked through, he, he said that. He, he kind of showed them that like, hey, I'll be a good judge. And so what happens when, when a person does that is that people start to listen. They're like, you're right. King David is never around, but you are. King David never hears me, but you're hearing me. I love what you have to say. And so people start to love Absalom. People start to lean towards Absalom and be like, oh, you are the guy who has, I, I want you to be my king kind of attitude. And so after four years of doing this, right? So it's not just like oh, a week or two weeks or a month or two months. No, four years of doing this, uh, Absalom travels to a place called Hebron. And then he sends out a secret messenger to every tribe in Israel and tells them, when you hear the sound of the trumpets, tell everyone Absalom is king at Hebron, right? Like, so as soon as you hit the trumpet, claim that I'm king. And uh, so the word spread and rebellion was born. Rebellion was born because everybody's like, I don't want to have David as king anymore. Absalom is my king. And so people were turning against David left and right. David had his friends turning away from him. And so at this moment, a messenger comes to David and says, look, it's too late. It's too late for you. Uh, you gotta run. 
Absalom is coming with his people. The whole nation have turned. They want him to be the king. You need to run. And so David runs. Right? And this is, in the midst of this, he writes this prayer, this song. In the midst of all what's going on, he writes this. And, and, and I know that, uh, I don't think we can all can fully relate to the story of David. I mean, none of us have, a, none of us are kings, first of all. But none of us have a son who's going to betray us and take over the throne, right? Like, we don't have that part of our story. Um, but, but we all go through something. We all go through something. We all know what it, to be weighted down by wrongs against us or wrongs within ourselves. We all know the darkness, right? When, when, when kind of what David has experienced, we can understand or can relate to that darkness, loneliness almost. And, uh, and so in the midst of all that's going on, David writes this prayer and he says, in the beginning, he, he starts talking about, uh, he says, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul. There's no salvation for him and God. So many are my foes. Many are against me. Many are ta- talking and saying there's no salvation for him and God. And, and part of that, like, you're going, yeah, that, that's understandable. There's many against him. Like, the whole nation is probably against him. Absalom is against him. It's understandable. In this moment, the whole nation has turned against him. His friends have probably betrayed him. And, and most recognized his son as a king. And, and, what it, and this culture, what that meant even, is that if they recognized his son as a king, that means David is dead to them. There's no, they no longer want to even interact with him. It's not like, yeah, Absalom is king. You're good, dude. Like, no, there's nothing to do with David. And the word salvation here is not like the salvation that, we, that you go to heaven. This is a salvation of safety and deliverance, right? And God, God has, if, if you read through David's story, God has saved David over and over and over. And, and God has saved David from Saul. God has saved David from Philistines, and God has been faithful to him. And now David's enemies are looking at David and, he's, and they're saying, David, I think you're done. David, I think you're done. That, you know that whole thing, God taking care of you? I think, I think that you know, Absalom taking over the throne, you're running. I don't know if you have even an army anymore. I think you're done. I think God has turned against you. God won't save him anymore kind of attitude they're saying. And again, we're not in the same situation as David and probably never will be. But when we're in a dark place, there's a lie that creeps in. There's a lie that comes and starts whispering during that dark time. And the lie lie is this. Is God against me? Is God against me? God has saved David over and over, and he's dealing with the, with the lie that God is done with him. He's dealing with the same lie. Is God against me? He's dealing with the lie that God is against him. And, and, and we deal with a similar lie often. Uh, just even this past week, I was talking to a friend who's going through some dark things. And, and as the conversation was unfolding, he kept referring to this. If God was for me, then he would not let me go through this. If God was for me, he would let me have this. Right? Like, that's a form of that lie. 
It's the exact same lie. And he's just kind of voicing it, just that frustration. I don't, I don't know if God is for me. It's dark around me right now. If God was for me, then he would not let me have this. He would let me have this. Or he, he would not let me go through this. And we all feel that lie. We have, you know, as I'm saying that, I'm voicing it. You, you relate to that lie. You ask that lie. You, you interact with it. But, but the question I want to address is, how do you fight that lie? How do you fight that lie? Well, we fight against that, this lie the same way David is fighting this lie. He goes to God in prayer. He cries out to God and says, Oh, Lord. That's how he starts off. Like, Oh, Lord, you know my situation. You know my enemies. You know what is happening. You know what's going on. You know how many enemies I have. God, you know this. He's voicing his situation to a God who's all-knowing, who knows all things. He's speaking the recognition of evil to God. He's saying, you know all things, but I need to voice it. So these first couple verses, that's not something new to God. God is not going, oh man, I didn't see David is in trouble. No, like he's voicing something God already knows, but David is still voicing it. So I think the first way to fight against this lie is by voicing to God what God already knows. You voice to God the situation that you're in, speaking the dark situation into the light, speaking your heart to a God who already knows your heart. So David states his situation to a God who already knows the situation. But what what does he do next? He prays for protection. In verse 3, he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. I cried out loud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. So David names the situation, and he flips the situation on its head. I have all these enemies, but, O Lord, you're not like these enemies. You are a shield about me, meaning you're the one who always protects me. The enemies are attacking me, but you, O oh Lord, protect me. The enemies are attacking and saying, your God is done with you. But, but David says, God, you do protect me. O oh Lord, I trust your protection. You protect me. Do you see the contrast there? He, he states the situation and then he flips the situation, says, I'm feeling this lie, but I'm calling the truth. You see my situation, and my situation is screaming a lie, and God, that God is against me, but oh God, you are a shield about me. You, God, are my protection. I know you got me. And then, and then he continues, he says, my glory. Is he talking about his glory? Is this a moment where David is like, oh, you know what? Like, yeah, you're my protection, but I'm awesome. No, he's talking about, about he's saying, God, you are my glory. You are my glory. God, you are my shield. You completely protect me. God, you are my glory. You are the great and glorious one. And he says, And you, O God, the lifter of my head. I can't pick up my head. This is what the situation that I'm in. I don't even have the heart to lift my head. Uh, But you, God, you can lift my head. You are the glorious one. You are the protector. You are the lifter. 
God, you got this. This is my situation, but you got me. This is what the darkness is I'm experiencing, but you got me. And then, and then he says, I cried out loud to the Lord, and he answered me from, the, from his holy hill. He answered me from his holy hill. Where, where's the holy hill? The holy hill is the throne where Absalom is sitting right now. It's in Jerusalem. It's a place where the Ark of the Covenant, the physical representation of God's presence is at. But God answers from his holy hill. God answers from his throne. Oh Lord, you're the protector and provider. Oh Lord, you are my glory. You lift my head. Oh you, oh Lord, hear me and answer me from where you are. Isn't that a great example of the way we should pray? Isn't this, a, isn't this a, a, such a great way to look and to say, wow, that's a great example no matter what's happening in life, no matter how dark the storm is, you bring it to God. You acknowledge that the situation, you surrender it to God. You lay it at His feet and declare the truth you know about Him. And He got you. He will protect you. He will lift your head. He's our God. He's, he's the one who knows what you need. So look what happens when you give it over to God. Look at verse 5 now. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I gave it over to God, and I slept. And I woke up the next morning, for the Lord sustained me. So do, do you hear this peace? Do you hear this, this peace? Usually when things are falling apart, when you're in the midst of darkness, there's no peace. There's worry, there's anxiety. There's no peace. And David gives it to God. And sleeps. Do you see that? Do you see what happens? He's giving us as an example. He's saying, hey, whenever your situation is, claim it. Share it. Share it with God. Now now speak the truth of who God is. And, And then you let go of it. You sleep. But why is it when we go through a hard time, rest and sleep are hard to come by? Why is it when we go through a tough time in life, rest and sleep are the, la- the first things to go, right? Like uh, any kind of, you start feeling that anxiety. And, and the reason is that we want to control the situation. We want to control the situation. We worry because we want to figure out a way to bring our lives back under control. And sleep is a symbol that's opposite of control. I completely release control when I'm sleeping, Right? You can't control anything when you're sleeping. You only have to trust the one who sustains everything. I sleep because I'm weak. I sleep because I need rest. I sleep because I can't control everything. God is not weak. God doesn't need rest. God doesn't need sleep. God is in control over everything. David says, God is the one who sustains me. That means that when you sleep, when you go down and, and you, you, you close your eyes and dreams kind of come through and you fall asleep and then your heartbeat slows down, God is the one who's letting your heart continue to beat, beat during that time. He, he's the one who designed your body in such a way that your heart rate slows down just enough so you can rest and sleep. He did that. 
He sustains you. He's the one that makes sure that all the valves as you sleep, all the valves inside your heart open, the right amount of blood comes through, close. He sustains you. He's the one that sustains you. David continues in verse 6. He says, I'll not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Do do you remember how he started off this psalm? Do you remember? He says, I have many enemies. Many are against me. But do you see what he does in verse 6? He says, I will not be afraid of many thousand of people. Why? Why? Because he knows who's on his side. He knows that God is his shield. God is his protector. God got him. Therefore, he can sleep and not worry. And he's not afraid because he knows the one who's over everything. He knows the one who's over everything. So he's not afraid. He can rest. I mean, he's probably sleeping on a rock, but he still is resting. He's not worried if Absalom is going to be coming after him. He's just, he knows God got him. But the enemies have no chance. So in verse 7, he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. What he's saying is that my enemies, my enemies, they don't have a chance. They don't have a chance. So arise and save me. My enemies are going against me. Arise, God. Save me. Oh, my God. And do you notice that, that throughout the psalm, he doesn't get personal, but here he does. He gets very personal. He gets very personal. He's using me and my. He's, he says, save me, my God. God is over everything. He's in charge, but he's a personal relation, has a personal relationship with us. He is my God. I can cry out to him to save me. My God, deliver me. It's such a good example. It's such a good example as we pray. Uh, throughout the week as I was studying, I kept coming back and I was like, man, this is such a good example of no matter where you are in life, how to pray. And, and as you're doing that, to remember that we have a personal relationship with this God. That we can, we can come to him. That he's not just like a guy who sustains all things. No, he cares about me. He knows me. And, and as David has confidence in this God, we can have the same kind of confidence that God will take care of it. That God got us. And, he, and the enemies, they'll be humiliated. They'll be humiliated uh, for, as the pastor says, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Striking on the cheek was humiliating. And David knows that God will take care of him in such a way that those who say, where is your God, will see the true God. And so here's the question for us. Do we actually believe this? Do we believe this? Do we believe that God will take care of it? Do we believe that God will take care of whatever, wherever you're going through? Because if that's the case, if that's the case, then why don't we pray this way? Why don't we pray this way? God, you know my situation. Things are bad. 
I know you are the protector. I know that you're in charge and victories always follow you. Now let me rely on you. Let me just rest. Let me let go of all this anxiety and everything and I can sleep. I think, I think one of the reasons why we don't go through this is because in the midst of darkness, in the midst of darkness, all we see is fog. All we see is fog. We see, we, we, we try to see this, this, this prayer. We, we want to see the truth, but all we see is fog. All we see is fog, and, and we're trying, we're looking around. And, and, and the thing is, when you look in the review mirror, you see that God is carrying you. God is the one who has provided for you. God is the one who has been faithful for you. God is the one who's walking with you. And you, you start to see his love. You start to see things clearly. You're, you, you see how he's been providing for you. You see how he had come through in this way or this another way. But in the midst of darkness, you look around and all you see is fog. So if we believe this, with, with all of our heart, if we believe with, with everything that's inside of us that God is the provider and protector and He got us, then we would, we would pray similar prayers as David. God, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if David saw clearly that God was the protector in that moment. But he was praying that, saying, hey, previously, you took care of me many, 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 many times. And I look back in the rearview mirror, I see how you have provided this way and this way and that way. So I lean on you, full of trust, full of dependency on God. Because you know He is your answer. And so David ends, ends this prayer, this song with this in verse 8. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So this, the, the way David starts the song is being kind of in the corner, right? He's in the corner and he's rem, rem, remember the lie that he was wrestling with. There's no deliverance for, for him. People are like, ah, I think God, God doesn't have his back anymore. And he ends with salvation belongs to the Lord. All of you who are whispering that, all of you who are saying that lie, you are all wrong because salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is His, not yours. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You have no right to even take that salvation because God got me. And then He ends with a blessing. He ends with a blessing. He says, And may your blessing be on your people. May your blessing, God's blessing, be on your people. So David ends with a blessing, a blessing, blessing that he didn't fully experience. Yes, he eventually was restored to his place as a king, but it, but it was just through a lot of suffering. It wasn't so much of like, God, bless me, and, and, and let this be awesome, and then like all these awesome things happen. No, like if you go and read 2 Samuel, his son Absalom dies. David mourns this. And so he gets restored as a king, but, but it's, not, it's not the fullness of this blessing. Because the true blessing comes later through God's son, Jesus. The true blessing comes through Jesus, Jesus God's child. 
And, and through Jesus, God's children are blessed. So we don't need to fear evil then. We, we still will experience the effects of evil. We still will experience the effects of it. We, we will worry. You will worry. I will worry. I will fear and have, have sadness and grief and, and frustration and sin. Like all of us will have those things. But God, through his son, Christ Jesus, had a plan to bless us and let us become his own people. He adopted us. It's this, this blessing of adoption that follows, right? This blessing of being part of his family. And Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, the writer of Hebrew writes this. He says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, we are adopted into his family. Now we have a great high priest who's able to sympathize with our weakness. Not only that, but with every form of suffering and anguish that we experience, he experienced worse. Jesus provided a way for that blessing that David pronounced to come true. David spoke that blessing. And Jesus is the answer of that blessing. So we're able to celebrate that. We're able to celebrate that, celebrate the cross and the resurrection at the table, right? Like every week we celebrate the communion because of that blessing that we are adopted into his family. That what he did on the cross. And and we can draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May this be us. May we be a people who, who draw near to Jesus in the same way David drew near to God. May we be honest with what's going on in our lives. May we be, be not trying to sugarcoat our situation, but really come to God with everything that's happening in our situation. May we share it with Him. And then we speak truth. May we be a people who speak truth and lean on who he is in light of that. We speak complete truth to those lies that we may have believed in that situation. And may we trust that God got us. May we be a people who who lean on him so much that we're like, he got us. And may we rest in Jesus who's able to deliver us because he has delivered us.